Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 141 of Midweek Metagame. I'm Harry MTG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gable Nassif. Hey, Harry. Hey, everyone. And we're also joined by Mock Showcase winner, Twitch streamer, very rare, <laughs> rare YouTuber, also just a close friend of mine, Cherry X Man. Hello, everyone. So this past week, as we've been talking about it on the podcast for ages, I had the showcase qualifier for the mocks this past weekend, as well as Cherry X-Men. And I've been talking about it, how we've been testing together. We've been, you know, playing many different Pioneer decks, testing against each other. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, as well as Gab's played the Modern and Pioneer Challenge. So he's going to be giving us a bit of information from both of those two. But before we get into things, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Card Market. For those who don't know what that is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything Magic the Gathering related. It can be deck boxes, singles, accessories. You can sell on there. You can buy other card games, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh! Go check them out. Card Market supporters, they're great. Cardmarket.com or Cardmarket.eu. As well as, we have a new Patreon this week. Um... Your name didn't come up in the Patreon, so it's just Cat Dog Warrior. Thank you so much for supporting our content. Thank you so much, Cat Dog Warrior, and great name. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also thank you everyone else for supporting the Patreon. I want to make it a note that we are not doing the seven dollar merchandise tier anymore. We are going to be selling merchandise directly to Patreons. So if you're interested in that, join the podcast Discord. We've been loving you all getting in there. We now have two hundred and fifty members in the Discord. That's insane. Let's try and get it up to 300 by the end of the month. That would be amazing. Um, anything else I need to shill? I don't think so. Oh, Pat can't be with us this week because of work commitment, sadly. And uh, we wanted to make sure that Cherry could get on the podcast to talk about things. And it didn't line up with Pat. But let's get into things. Cherry X-Man, before we get into things, you are a content creator. So is there any forms of content that you would like to shout out before the episode begins? Well, firstly, I don't really stream right now, but I might stream again soon, I don't know. I might dabble back into some Pioneer on stream. I've been having a lot of fun with that, but also, uh, me and Harry are going to have an article going up on mtgdex.net in the next week or so, so look out for that. We're talking about our Pioneer uh, mono green deck and how we've done the tournament and why we chose the cards we did. Okay, okay. You say you don't stream. What is that? So you're going to come back or are you done um, for good? I might come back a little bit, you know? I might Cause... stream some Pioneer Mono Green, show people how it's done. Ooh, <laughs> okay. Because obviously you, you're at university, right? But have you graduated now? I actually don't know. Yeah, I graduated a couple months ago. Um. So, what, your full-time magic? Uh, I'm going to start looking for a job soon, I think. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you're going to a real job. That yes, makes sense. yes. But I do have the the mocks and the pro tour to to look forward to still. So yeah, I guess that's a good good starting point. You came first in the showcase. It was, I believe, twenty nine players. What did you actually get for coming first? Uh, so from the tournament, you get somewhere around a thousand dollars in Magic Online product. Um. And most importantly, you get an invite to the Magic Online uh, Championships. That I can't remember the exact name. It's basically the mocks, the Magic Online Champions Series thing. 
uh, the yeah. big one with eight it's players. Like, yeah, exactly. Eight players, $20,000 for first. Two formats. This one's going to be Pioneer and Modern Cube, right? Yep. So that's in a couple months. Um, and also Pro Tour in February, the Pro Tour show in February 2023 invite as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, never played on the, the Pro Tour before. Oh, wow. Yeah, you yeah. get not. So I'm guessing you get an invite to the regionals too? Yeah, I do. If you want to go. Well. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, straight to the Pro Tour as well. Awesome. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Could have been you, well, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, to be honest, to describe my tournament, it, it did not go great. I got paired against um, Mr. Cafulet round one. I, I crushed him game one and then game two and three just didn't work out. And then kind of from there, I was like 2-1 and then I got paired against Spirits, which is very bad for green. I would say Cherry, right? Yeah, because I got paired against the Spirits player the next round and lost as well. Yeah. Um, that's definitely like and, one of the weaker matchups. Yeah, and then in the last round, I played the mirror, mono green mirror, and it flopped. But I guess to start off the podcast, Cherry, you and I tested extensively yes. for this event. And a lot of people were asking us um, what we're doing, what we're playing, blah, blah, blah. So I think we should do like a little breakdown of, I guess, first off, how did we test? Why don't, why don't you start with that? Well, mostly since April, we've, we've just been playing mostly Mono Green and Pioneer. Fact. So we were already pretty locked in on it. We, we, we definitely tried out some other stuff, but we, we both qualified with the deck, so we had a lot of confidence in it. And uh, the other thing is we expected a lot of people to play decks like Red, Bat, Red Black, and Blue, White, and I think Green has a good matchup against both of them. Yeah, yeah especially Red, Black. Yeah, I think that's a big that's a big thing that I was talking about is that we were either trying to find not a, like a new deck or a fringe deck that was good against Rakdos Blue White or we're going to tune green to beat Rakdos Blue White. And we when I was I went to Spain for a week and Cherry and I literally DM'd each other on Discord for time just talking about every individual card, how we want our storms to work, our land drops. Do we want 22 lands 2120? Bloody bloody blah, and we actually had a stage in our testing, right, Cherry, where we saw all these RCQ lists with four Kiora, Nissa who shakes the world, Nissa vital force. It was really kind of stumping us almost. Yeah, we didn't really know what to do. But I think, kind of speaking for both of us here, our general journey for this event was we were very sold on green. Our logic was this: it's a small player tournament. Pioneer is a format that we. I think we believe that there isn't a best deck. Yeah. And um, we also knew that with players like Misplaced Ginger and others on Twitter spamming red black with results and wins and whatnot, that this tournament was going to be full of people trying to play the most consistent list, whether it's red black or blue white. So I thought, for me personally, I thought red black is a really good, if not super favored matchup for green. And blue-white is either 50-50 or slightly favored for green. So why would we not want to play green? And we both... I won the showcase qualifier. Cherry came second in the showcase qualifier with green. I mean, we clearly play it very well. Let's just go with what we think is the best deck, right? Yeah, exactly. It's interesting and, because... 
feel like if you'd asked blue-eyed players, they would say they're favorite against Mono Green. I think that... Well, Cherry and I realized this in the blue-white matchup, and it's that... Cherry, you specifically said the problem with blue-white is you either have a load of answers with no threats or a low amount of answers and a lot of threats. So our game plan specifically has shifted from trying to play around things to just we're going to cast our best spell in hand and we're going to play around the Wandering Emperor. Have I got that wrong, Cherry? Yeah, exactly. We, we can afford to play around Wandering Emperor a lot of the time. Uh, we don't always have to attack. So if we don't get punished by that and if we just jam all of our premium threats like Khan in particular, if a Khan resolves, it's very hard for Blue White to deal with a lot of the time. Because if they answer Khan, then we get to resolve another threat. And if they don't answer Khan, we get to generate a lot of card advantage. Yeah. I I do think that Blue-White has nut draws against Green that is unwinnable, like turn one portable hold, counter, 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 counter. That's quite hard for us to beat. But I think that there's a very specific way that you can play around the Blue-White player where it makes it very awkward in a sense that if they tap out, I'm slamming something next turn. Or if they tap out, I'm presenting lethal with layer of the Hydra. Or they need to field of ruin my Nykthos here so I can do other stuff. And I, I, I don't think it's, like, favored in a sense that, like, oh, green crushes blue-white. But for me personally, at least, I found that. I think I lean towards 50-50, and Cherry, you think it's favored, right? I, I think it's slightly favored, I would say, from my experience. But it's, it's not by much. Mm -hmm. And what do you actually think of cards like Nissa, Nissa Vital Force and Four Kiora? Uh, for Kiora, I've I've thought about that one a lot. I I don't think I like the fourth Kiora. There's a lot of games where I have the the second Kiora, and it's it's just completely dead in my hand, and it's also not a great top deck because there's a lot of boards where you draw it and it just does nothing. Um, and and when you have it, it's not like particularly powerful a lot of the time either. So yeah. I think three is enough that you can hit it when you need it for the combo, etc. But uh, and this a vital force. Um, personally, the we t me and Harry tested for this tournament. Uh, the five mana Vivian. I can't remember the name. Monsters advocate. Monsters advocate. The it pluses to make a three three with vigilance reach or trample your choice. Um, and it has a couple other abilities that are also fairly useful. Um, and basically we preferred that because it plays much better against cards like, uh, well, Fatal Push, uh, you don't lose a land, for example. Like, Nissa Vital Force still gets Fatal Push, and you lose the creature, like, every turn. The regrowth ability on Nissa does seem nice, um, but even against, like, Blue-White, the players are boarding in Rest in Peace against us, uh, mm -hmm. and cards like Graveyard Trespasser too make it a bit weaker. Because we're mostly looking at that slot for like a red, black, or a blue, white card. Yeah. I guess you guys have been talking about some of the, the, the cards you like, don't like. Maybe you should give us the list you played and how it, uh, you know, how it's different from the the stock list of pretty much all four odds. We've seen like maybe one Nico Bolas. Uh, okay. I don't know. How, how many Nico Bolas did you guys play? How many of these uh, Vivian? Have you ended up playing? How, how did your list, uh, how's your list been different then? Yeah, so compared to 
other lists, I would say that it's unique in that we play three Kiora, one Karyatid, one Nicobolas, one Shifting Ceratops, one Pelucranos, a uh, World Eater. And then similarly, we have the eight Elves, Oath of Nissas, four Old Growth Troll, four Karn, four Cav, four Storm, 21 lands with a Besaju in two layers. And then in the sideboard, we have the classic um, Cauldron, Treasure Vault, Tormod Script, Pithing Needle, Damping Sphere, Heart of Kieran, Unlicensed Hearse, Transmog Transmogrifying Wand, the Chain Veil, Sky Sovereign, Godfarer Statue, Meteor Golem, uh, Essica's Chariot, and two Voracious Hydra. So I guess the quote-unquote difference in the sideboard could potentially be Transmogrifying Wand, could be Chariot, as well as Treasure Vault. And we have two Hydras that we can actually sideboard in. So we have 13 sideboard cards and two actual cards we can board in. And I think that, like we were saying, we were debating those cards that other players were playing. But cards that people debate us on actually specifically, which Cherry I think you can get into, is the one Karyatid, the one Pelucranos, the one Shifting Ceratops. And I would say the only disputed cyborg card that we have is Treasure Vault. Am I missing anything? No, I think that's about right, yeah. So, um, so did you end up playing Vivian or not? I, I'm, I guess I missed it. Yeah, we know. No, no Vivian. No, okay. no Vivian. And you didn't go extra heavy on the Planeswalkers either. No, we thought we were already good enough against like red, black, and blue white anyways. We'd rather have an extra card for another matchup. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I guess... Oh, sorry, you go, Cherry. Yeah, so with the the Karyatid, we we consider playing two, even. That's a card that me and Harry have really liked a lot. If We feel like it overperforms, right? Um, yeah, I think I think the problem I have with Karyatid is it's really good against red-black because you can't kill it. It's really good against mono-red, and it's really good against the decks that you want to block in. However, it's so, so, so bad against Supreme Verdict and Sensor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we, we like one, but yeah, I, th I think I like having the extra two drops just for the curve. With this list, we really wanted to get a good curve. We've seen, There's people who play like Anissa Vital Force and like another Bolas, but I think that's just going too many five drops. I like having more castables, which is why I preferred like the, the Ceratops and Pelucranos at four mana. Um, their baseline is pretty good they're just big creatures but you can also draw a card with kiora and pelucranos is really good against any creature deck um and shifting ceratops is insanely strong as like in particular spirits it's very hard for mono blue to beat because uh, it has protection from blue so they can't tap it with shacklegeist and you can also give it reach so it can block all their things for free um so does it, does it actually make a difference? I remember it's different deck, obviously, but I used to play Niv and Spirits was kind of tough. And I used to have Ceratops in my sideboard. And I remember just routinely losing games where I would cast one or two Ceratops. And it didn't really matter that much because got in kind of a like board stall for a few turns and they just overwhelmed you anyways if they had a good draw. So it was like, it was a good card, obviously, but yeah. it wasn't like, oh, I drew two Ceratops, it's GG. Plus, I think sometimes maybe they had Gust. Right, um, right. But I guess your whole deck gets Gusted. So. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, the main thing is that we just need to buy time because we can yeah. combo so fast. So that's kind of the the strength of it. Um, yeah. 
Especially when they're tapping creatures to shackle guys. So if we have a Cavalier and a Ceratops, they have to tap two creatures to tap down Cavalier of Thorns as well. Uh, yeah. So they yeah. they can lose a lot of board presence from that. Uh, it, we, we still lost to Spirits, especially because the Spirits list in the tournament was a, a banned Spirits list. Uh, so they actually mm-hmm. played Skyclave Apparition, and every time... Well, in games two and three, I think I cast Ceratops and they Skyclaved it. So it didn't matter anyway. So it, it's and, definitely better against Mono Blue. And they were playing Spellqueller too. Yeah, true. Spellqueller hitting is really bad as well. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, you just wanted a four drop for the curve that triggers Cura. What are what are some of the other options um, f- as far as four drops that trigger Cura? Did you did you explore any other creatures besides Polyphonos and Ceratops? Yeah, so we tried a different list which had less spells, a more aggressive list, and we tried Nullhide Ferox there. Um, but I, I don't think you can play that in this list because it, it plays too many non-creature spells. Uh, the other one we liked in that list was Questing Beast, potentially. Mm. Um, but I don't think there's too many other like super powerful 4-drops that we consider. Yeah, um, I, th- I think what we identified with Ceratops is that we assumed everyone would bring what we believe to be the best decks in the format, and that would either be Phoenix, Blue White, or Rakdos. We weren't really expecting much else. And against Blue White, it's great. Okay, it gets exiled by Wanderer, but it can't be countered. Against um, Phoenix, it's great. It blocks the Ledger Shredders. Most of the time, their Phoenixes are attacking, so a hasty 5-4 can steal a win. And um, for me personally... During the tournament, I had a sick game in the mirror where I had a Pelucranos come. I I was I I had a Pithy Needle on Karn. I had to Karn Pithy Needle turn four or five because my opponent was going to combo me next turn. So Karns were wiped. I gained a load of mana by getting all four Nykthoses into play from storming a bunch, and then I Pelucranos for X is like twenty five. I wiped their whole board. And because they had three calves, they put three trolls on top of their deck to cast with the Kiora on the table. But then I just played the Shifting Ceratops, gave it haste, killed the Kiora, and they just had three blanks on top of their decks, and I won. So I think that because the basically what to learn from this is because the deck can kind of draw through itself, not only having the haster is nice, but I feel like it's also very good against a lot of the top decks that... You know, it it both is a blocker and an attacker, which I think you need against Phoenix Spirits and against Blue White. It's very nice that it can kill the Teferi Hero, stuff like that. Yeah. Also, it's always nice to have the the unexpected card. You know, people make their calculation based on stock lists, and you mm. can really mess them up. It can, you know, definitely win you the game. You're like, okay, I'm gonna go Teferi. I have mana up for this. It's kind of locked up, and then boom. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. So, why do we play Treasure Vault in the sideboard, Cherry? Well, I think a lot of people play Darkstill Citadel. It's it's pretty uh, valuable to have a artifact land in the, the sideboard that you can get with Khan the Great Creator. Um, but a lot of people play Darkstill Citadel. The reason for this is that these lists used to play Nizu Shakes the World. So having an indestructible land could be okay, but even then it was a one-off and I don't think it was worth it. Treasure Vault uh, allows you to 
a combo with Cauldron and add black mana, that's not really too relevant anymore because you play Bolas. And with Nyxos, you can actually add black mana from Nickel Bolas. So it's not really relevant for that reason anymore. But, but it, this tournament against Blue White, I actually had a game uh, where Treasure Vault, I was... Uh, I, I drew a land for turn. So end of turn, I activated Treasure Vault to make five treasures. Uh, the next turn, I untapped, and the treasures gave me enough mana to cast Storm and then flash it back again. Damn. So, definitely rewarded that. And I don't think Indestructible does it enough to matter. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see it in a grindy game against Red Black, too, or maybe yeah, you're low yeah. on resources and you're in Covenant top deck mode, it gives you the extra treasures to flash back a Storm. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you guys know if the the list got posted anywhere? Because I looked, I looked up on the usual sites and they were not. Yeah, I don't think they have been. I think I saw Bamsing tweeted that like they don't normally, or these lists are like hard to find. They don't normally post them or something. Yeah, which is a bit strange. One thing I saw is is Marcio, who was in the tournament, he played red black, and he said, uh, you know, he built his deck to beat blue white in the mirror, I believe. Yeah, uh, and he ended up. I think he ended up beating him in the in the semis. And you know, I think he posted his list, and it. I don't think it had any of the epic downfalls, lava calls, and stuff. So I was I was, I was interested to find out if other people kind of made some of the same choices. You know, kind of maybe decided there wouldn't be too much mono green, and kind of made the same assumptions and decisions as Marcio, and maybe that you know that's one of the reasons why you did well. So yeah, that's actually interesting. I did see that too, because he's playing like two unlicensed hunts in the main as well. Cause we... Yeah, just stone break against, well, I guess storm the festival, but... Yeah, yeah. Definitely not good um, against this deck, but... Yeah, so me and, me and Harry tested like red-black and whatever, and see how powerful those cards were, and they were definitely like a big difference in the matchup. Uh, the cards that exile. Um, I don't think we played against too much mono green hate. I think Spirits is a really good deck against mono green, so the person who played that had a good pick against us. Um, but I mean, one interesting thing, me and Harry both played against uh, the same Abs and Grease Fang player. They were playing Rotting Regisaur. Um, mm, I played against that on, in the challenge on Sunday as well. One of my yeah. three Grease Fang opens had Rotting Regisaur. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not sure... If that's actually good against mono green, to be honest, but or if it's for mono green, um, because I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty big. It's like hard to block for us, obviously. But often, I think me and Harry just had like an old growth troll and played to chump with, uh, to protect our Khan, and then we can just remove it anyway. So, I, I mean, yeah. Other yeah. than that, I don't think that was too much mono green hate. Honestly, I think we got pretty. Especially because I think it was the most played deck in the tournament, Mono Green. I think there were six different people playing it, so... Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really feel too much hate for the deck, so that was good, for sure. Yeah, I think Cherry and I reviewed his replay matches, and one of your Phoenix opponents boarded in Mystical Dispute against you. Yeah, that's true, actually. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think the problem is is that Aethergust is not a card that comes in against something like Red Black. Aethergust is literally just for 
um, mono green, and I think that a load of people took the same logic as Cherry and I, is that we gotta beat red black, we gotta beat blue white, and I assume that everyone's like, well, if red black and blue white are coming, oh, green's probably bad against those, I won't sideboard for them, when in actuality, I think that, you know, it's not the case. And I, from... Cherry and I played a load. I'm I'm thinking we played like 16, 17 best of three matches against each other with red, black versus green. And all the games that I won as red, black, it had to either involve a fast Kalitas and we're using fatal pushes to exile the trolls or you um the, uh, I don't know what the card is called. It's like, is it go blank? The one that's discard to exile yeah, the graveyard. Yeah and multiple epic downfalls like you had to have sideboard cards to beat green in my opinion and i think that that really really um made all the red black opponents struggle as well as you played against red black sacrifice in the quarterfinals which i think is even more favored than normal red yeah black. yeah and that deck is like very soft to con they do have shrapnel blast uh, which can kill Khan if you plus it, but uh, if you could, if you Khan for like even like Sky Sovereign, then keeping Mayhem Devil off the table is just like so strong. So and they have to answer Khan, and you you're just developing whilst they're trying to answer your board. Yeah, hundred percent. And when, um, what is it? When you, I saw, I watched back the replay of your semi-finals against Marcio Carvalho, and it was funny because, um, both in the semis and in the finals, both players made, I would say, fundamental mistakes because they forgot how both Karn the Great Creator works. Because in the semi-finals, in game, was it game two or three? Game basically, three, Marcio yeah. Carvalho, he. Attacked with Kalitas into a plus Sky Sovereign, right? So it's a 5-5 Sky Sovereign because of Karn the Great Creator. And he attacked Karn, and you blocked with the Sky Sovereign. And before damage, he Bone Crushered the Sky Sovereign to exile it with Kalitas, even though they trade. But because he exiles the Sky Sovereign with Kalitas, you then got it back with Karn, which I thought was a really sick line. Yeah, yeah. And he actually thought that um, I was playing two copies of Sky Sovereign in the sideboard, so he didn't realize that... It exiled it, and that I could get it back because of that. Oh, so. that's fortunate. Marcio doesn't make too many mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they—I don't even know if I can describe this perfectly. If you want, do you want me to describe it, or should you cherry the? Uh, the uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So we 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 had quite a bit of a tank because there was a a lot of decisions I could make. I had God first statues uh, in play against Blue White. They had a like five or six lands so they had quite a bit of mana and they had Teferi Hero of Dominarian play the portable hole was on my pithy needle um and I needed to get it back so what what we did was we plus the Khan on um what I did was I plus the Khan on pithy on the the portable hole cast the Pelucranos and then um I I f like activated the monstrous ability to kill the uh the portable hole and then i got the pithing needle back to name the teferi so i got a lot of value out of that play um and i can't remember exactly what harry but he had a, an answer to that if i am correct yeah so i think you've actually described it a slightly 
the what I remember is you. Cherry had a Karn with two loyalty, a Cavalier of Thorns, a Nykthos, and six forests. And in hand, he had a Cavalier and a Pelucranos. And then Bolov, Bolov has a Teferi, five lands, and a Portable Hole with a Pithy Needle under it. And basically, I think when we reviewed the game, you either thought you could minus the Karn, cast the Pithy Needle, if he has a counterspell, whatever, you... Um, oh no, you wanted to cast the Cav, and then if he counters it, you cast the Pithy Needle. Yeah. B but then instead, you cast the Cav, he didn't counter it, you got a forest off the Cav, so now he had Nykthos and two forests, he activated the Nykthos, and you had exactly seven Devotion. Right. Using the seven Devotion, you cast the Pelucranos, and you have three mana remaining. Bolov doesn't counter the Pelucranos, and then you plus on the portable hull and use three mana to kill the portable hull for X's one. And then on the end step, Bolov has um he has March March of the Otherworldly Light. So he didn't march the Oh, it was so com it's so complicated. He had both March and Absorb. So he didn't absorb the Cav. And he didn't... Yeah, it's so it's so complicated to explain over a podcast. He had Field of Ruin, March, and Absorb as his options with five lands. He didn't Field of Ruin the Nykthos because he was worried that there would be another Nykthos from the Cavalier. He didn't counter the Cavalier because he had a Verdict in his hand. He didn't... Um, and he didn't March of the Otherworldly Light, the Pelucranos, because he could just March the Portable Hole. Sorry, he could just March the Pithing Needle and then Verdict. So we essentially had, uh, you played around the Absorb and the March of the Otherworldly Light really well, which was, like, insane. Yeah, yeah. And he had to exile the Absorb to the March to exile the Portable Hole. Oh my gosh, the to exile the Pithy Needle. <laughs> this is so complicated. I, It, it was just an insa insanity how well you played around him having all three nut cards and yeah i think i explained it half decently there it probably was quite confusing though but essentially you played around field of ruin march of otherworldly light and absorb and he could have cast and used all three and somehow you got on top of that yeah i mean part of the part of that is just god for a statue just making everything so much harder for blue white to deal with um Without without the statue in play, he can just cast like his whole hand. Um, but the statue just meant that he's just he gets like one spell basically, so he doesn't want to waste it, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, and I think that overall, my a lot a lot of people message me about green. What do I think about green? And I really don't know if I like playing this deck in a big tournament because this tournament we had the benefit of we know that there's going to be loads of top meta decks, whereas I feel like in a small tournament you're way more likely to play against Spirits or Red-White throughout the event, you know? Yeah, that's true. For sure. Like, would you still play this deck if you were playing in a modern challenge? Oh, sorry, Pioneer Challenge, wow. I think I, honestly, I think I probably would. I still think that the problem is red-white 
uh, heroic. I, I don't think it's very good against like most of the other decks in the format. I think it's just uh, too easy to deal with for like decks like Red Black, etc. Um, so I we ha we haven't really seen basically any of that in the leagues. You'll get it once every few leagues or so, it's every twenty matches or whatever. So I think that's less of an issue. Spirits, I mean, um, honestly, honestly, my biggest concern, if I think there's still like a big paper tournament or whatever, would be just playing the mirror bunch. I think <laughs> I <laughs> I think the mirrors um have a lot of luck involved in them. I think there's there's definitely still a lot of avenues to outplay your opponent with Khan. I think I think that the deck skill really comes from Khan. I think there's there's just so many decision points every time you cast Khan. Um so I think that you just it's it's the mirrors are so difficult because if you play your Khan first and they might be able to Khan Sky Sovereign your Khan and win. If they draw more storms than you, then they might be able to combo before you. Um, yeah, yeah. I I feel like in the mirror, you don't want to take the draw, but when you're on the draw, it feels a lot nicer because not only do you have the information of what type of hand they have, but they corn first, and you know to play around boat or to play around statue or whatever. I feel like you're right. You're completely right. You get a lot more time to. To work around what they're doing you're reacting and they're they're basically the aggressor and with green you can burn out easily like one storm hitting an oath and a wolf willow haven can just you know make flip the game around i feel like green mirrors constant flickering between who has the combo you know what are they using pithy needle on what are they goleming stuff like this and, yeah. and it makes it read it, it feels quite luck based to be honest yeah. because a lot of the game goes down to what do you hit off storm and what do you hit off the top of your deck and let's be real that is not really skill based and i've never i've never felt like the mirror is skill based unless both players nut draw that's the only case where i feel like okay my decision actually matters when we both have the nut draw anything else i i actually just really don't have fun yeah i think i agree with that the the only thing is we we used to play the Immortal Sun, and the Immortal Sun was good to get off of Khan in the mirror because uh, it shuts off both your Planeswalkers, um, and your boards are often like it's often very t hard to attack on boards in the mirror because you have the same creatures, um, mm -hmm. so it often stalls out. But if you you have twice as many draws to your Pelucranos, and if you draw Pelucranos in that board, you win the game. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't. We didn't think it was worth the slot for this tournament because. We didn't expect too much mono green, and we went for transmogrifying wand instead because it's good against phoenix and thing in the ice. But honestly, if you want to, if you expect more green, you can play immortal sun, and it it, it doesn't always win you the game, but it, it definitely helps. Yeah, um, and I think that something that Cherry and I overlook is the great henge. A lot of people ask, like, well, why don't you just play the great henge instead of immortal sun? And I think that the reason why I love Immortal Sun is because you could keep four lands Karn in the mirror and you're still in a good spot if you play Karn and minus for Immortal Sun. Because as soon as you stop them from comboing, it, it, it's a board stall. Obviously, they can aggro you out, but 
um, Karn the Great Creator on the table in the mirror stops the combo because they can't activate Pestilent Cauldron. Now, there are fringe cases where obviously they can get Boat to kill your Karn or Meteor Golem, but sometimes potentially that may not be available to them. So just having Karn on the table makes it more awkward, and then slamming Immortal Sun gets essentially almost gets the job done in most cases because they can't minus Karn for Meteor Golem. And, you know, if you've got the Immortal Sun down before they can minus Karn, it makes it more awkward. So I completely agree. I think I lean towards Immortal Sun over Great Henge. I mean... Have we even ever... I think we tried Great Henge for, like, ages before the first showcase opened, right? I, I think we played it through a few leagues, and I don't think we cast it a single time. I think I boarded yeah. it in once just to try it, because I, I, I never wanted it off car, and I thought I'd try it in the main just to see if I would ever cast it, and I think it's just not good. I just don't think it's... I You, you don't play enough creatures. You play... Um... You play four play sets and then you have the three one offs. I don't. I don't think that's enough. I don't think it's a strong enough card. Yeah. Um, I think you have enough value plays already, like boat and I think chariot was honestly. I was a bit skeptical of it for a while, but I think I think that's overperformed a lot for us lately, right? Hundred percent. I think that chariot is. One thing that I think over is overlooked by Chariot is you play it against Blue-White Aractos. They have to kill the tokens if it's on an empty board. And if you have a Wolf Willow Haven or a Wolf Willow Haven in combination with small creatures, you sack Haven, crew the Chariot attack, and you copy the Haven token. The fact that you have token makers in the deck as well as Old Growth Troll token, it made Chariot, to me, feel like a premium. Especially, I feel like, with how much interaction there is in Pioneer right now, Getting to the six mana with statue is a lot harder with a Karn hand if you don't have the nuts. So having a four mana option is great because if you can cast the Karn to get the chariot, you can most likely cast the chariot itself. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like I'm more favored against blue white, honestly. I feel like my Karn without chariot are sometimes a bit a bit underwhelming against blue white, but I think with chariot, I just always have something to get. That's going to be good against, like, Verdict, even. Uh, if they cast Supreme Verdict, I can just plus on the Chariot and any Planeswalkers they ever gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Gab, you played um, Pioneer this past weekend in the Challenge. How did that go for you? Yeah, I played the Pioneer Challenge on Sunday. I played Blue-White Control, and it went well. I made top eight. I got... Oh, sick. Yeah, I got kind of... Not crushed in the top eight, but... Got to it by Grease Fang, and I got got by to me a safekeeping. Just when I thought I maybe had a shot, that was that was a, an unexpected card out of the the sideboard of the Grease Fang player. But um, went pretty well overall. I started three and I lost twice in the Swiss. My my overall record was not that amazing. I ended up going six and three because I I made it a with was a six two record. Uh, I started three and then I lost a couple. So. I basically thought I was dead for top eight because I don't think your breakers are going to be good very often, but I just had the freak occurrence of basically everyone I played just almost got max win after playing me. I think I think maybe what my first loss went 8-0. I think my second loss... <laughs> anyways, it was like, yeah, opposite day because I feel like it's easy the other way around. My, my opponents just lose it all and my breakers are always terrible. So that was that was super nice. 
Um, I lost twice in the Swiss to aggressive decks. I lost to, I think, mono-white humans and another version of humans, uh, white, green, or abs and humans, which has been close matchups. Last time I played, I actually beat these decks. Last time I uh, I played the blue-white, but it was always really close, especially against mono-white. I felt like I, get, I got a little lucky. I feel like the green version with companies actually maybe not as scary. Maybe they're a little more inconsistent or their threats are not as scary, but yeah, that, that was tough. I did I did make a last second cut. I changed the, the one meaningful change I, I made was that I didn't play Kahira and I instead had the Hallbreaker Horror in the sideboard, one of a, a Dream Trawler in my sideboards. And uh, th that paid off huge for me. Very first round, I, I beat Lotus Bloom and Hallbreaker Horror won me the third game. Dream Trawler was pretty solid for me as well. And I guess after losing to these aggro decks, I would maybe consider, you know, Baneslayer or Lyra. I know some people play these cards and uh, I'm kind of wary because the, the white decks almost always have Bristol Cathar after sideboard. They need to keep them, I guess, in case you have the angels. And even if you don't have the angels, it, it comes up a decent bit, uh, you know, eating a shark token that comes up more than you would think. Even if you ambush the, their first creature, they still get to get rid of it the, the turn after that, and it's it's serviceable for them. So yeah, uh, I did have to make room, and I ended up cutting. Uh, last time I played the deck, I had two settle the wreckage in my sideboard with the third verdict, and settle wreckage was MVP for me all day. And for some reason, I decided to you know trim one of the settle and got got somewhat punished. One of the games, it wouldn't have mattered because they just had Redane, and I was stuck on freelance with three verdicts in hand, but. Yeah, I tried um, I tried the Pathways as well over Glacial Fortress. We've talked about it on, on the podcast before. My reasoning for Glacial Fortress was that it could come into play untapped on turn two a decent amount of the time. And you have double blue on turn three, double white on turn four, and you're playing Feel of Rune. So I felt like you needed, quote unquote, real dual lands that made both colors. And I was worried that with Pathways, you know, you have to play it early on one of the colors and then you're missing the second man of the other color, but it kind of worked out. I, I did cut a field of rune. I went down to two, but I kind of missed the, the third field of rune. So I think I would stick with pathways and a couple deserted beach, no fortress. I think I would play a third field of rune and see if I don't get punished too much. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was good for me. It was interesting because you guys have been talking about how you feel like your favorite against blue white was green and i know misplaced changer feels like he's like decently or if not i don't remember what he said but he felt like pretty decent favorite against blue white as well so i wonder if it's a kind of matchup where if you know what you're doing against blue white all their cards become much worse you're talking about not attacking into the wandering emperor that kind of stuff or if it's just you know the good players think they have the good matchup and the reality is that it's really just you know close to 50 50. Um, you also mentioned rest in peace against green. I've been yeah. not doing the rest in peace thing. I've been sideboarding um, in a way where I, I, I board out the verdicts. I have two gusts in my sideboard and I bring in all my counters, my gusts. I have four wandering emperor in the main deck and only two verdicts. Most people play a free and free split, but um, you know, blue eyed control has been pretty popular. I didn't play the mirror this time, but Obviously, it's night and day. Having a Force Emperor is really nice in the mirror. And I feel like, in some ways, it's a bit like a verdict. But yeah, 
Especially against mono green. Um, we don't go too wide. Um, How so many memory deluge do you play, Gab? I play two. I think I like at least two. I've seen, I've tried less before and you do miss it. You do miss it in the late game when you only have one and you don't draw it and you're staring at that Behold the Multiverse in your graveyard wishing it was a deluge. <laughs> yes. I, I've been playing the two and one split and I don't know if it's just selective memory, but I feel like I always have the the behold on turn two when I'm stuck on two lands and I'm super happy <laughs> to foretell it to make my land drops. And then I have Deluge later in the game. So that, that split has been working out for me. I think only two card drawing spells is a little low. Uh, I like the free card drawing spells. I like free Teferi. Um, yeah, I play free Veto, free hard counters to absorb one, uh, one of the foretell one side coming, but maybe it should be be all absorbs and yeah kind of kind of pretty pretty standard list besides that i uh, i don't uh i guess the, the, yeah the sideboard sideboard creatures dream trawler hardwrecker is really good maybe you should even be playing too uh dream trawler is pretty serviceable M maybe saying shells kahira was good for me it was good against red black it was good in a bunch of spots but i think i've been Winning so many games was horror. Losing so many games to horror. Same, same for Dream Trawler. So, I guess this is. I, I, I would guess this is better. You could also maybe play Dream Trawler in the main. That's something I used to do in Explorer. I was always bringing it in every matchup. I was like, I'll just play one in the main. And it was fine too. Someone asked actually asked that question. Uh, they were like, Well, I see you bring in Dream Trawler in pretty much every matchup. Why are you not playing it in the main deck? And the logic is. Usually people have removal in their main deck, yada yada, so you don't want to have creatures and they board them out and then your creatures become better, but Dream Trawler doesn't care that much about removal. Mm. Uh, but yeah, specifically, blue-white against Monogreen, the way I like to sideboard is no verdict. I just keep into one farewell because that card's really strong and I go full counters. Uh, it's something that's been working out for me. I know most people do rest in peace plus verdict, but I don't like that strat because it le leaves you weak to Planeswalkers. And um, yeah, I feel like I like playing kind of a more proactive game. It was was my own, my own Planeswalkers backed up by counters. I also have a sample size of one of my uh, viewers who said they were struggling in a matchup and then they switched, you know, they were doing Rest in Peace and Verdict and then they switched to just old counters and kind of my sideboard strat and it's been working out for them so um, oh, that's cool yeah yeah i'm not sure which one's better it is true occasionally you know you obviously used to you lose to a flashback from the festival or you know some some other triggers but i'd rather be like trying to snowball basically trying to curve counters into wandering emperor into teferi and not have that awkward rest in peace verdict i mean every card matters and you know maybe keep in a few portable holes because people who usually do verdict and rest in peace they board at portable holes because they they're just hoping to 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 survive and get the elves with the verdict i think i'll leave in some portable holes to make up for that kind of really and it, and it it fits them the plan right it fits the strategy of slowing them down as much as possible and curving out so yeah no honestly i, I don't know if cherry agrees with this but I think that rest in peace on its own is just good against green because I think that a lot of the games, so I completely agree with your assessment that Supreme Verdict is not great. A lot of the time we're setting up 
turns where it's like, okay, if there's Supreme Verdict next turn, I'm slamming this premium, or if there's Supreme Verdict there, I'm doing this. I've got a layer I can attack. I can kill their Planeswalker or whatnot. And I think that Supreme Verdict is only good in a spot where you have Teferi Hero on the table, which is not great. But Rest in Peace, to me, I feel like is actually very annoying. Because in the blue-white control matchup, we struggle to have cards in the sideboard that are both castable and relevant during the game. Obviously, Esper Chariot is good, and Godfarer Statue is decent, but because the games go so long, most of the time we see all of our Karns, or we see multiple Karn activations, and eventually we're getting useless cards with Karn. And Cauldron is just good as 5 mana, get 2 things back, probably eat a counterspell, and um, while Storm Flashing Back never really resolves, I like it because... Maybe you have a Deluge you can flash back. Maybe I just want to pay 10 mana to eat a counter and attack in so you can't Wandering Emperor. Things like this. And I feel like Rest in Peace on its own is quite annoying against green. And I wouldn't be against you boarding it in and boarding out the verdicts. What What do you think, Cherry? I, I think I'll lean more with Gab. But I, I, I think the games we lose are where blue-white goes portable hole into counterspell, counterspell, and then Teferi. Or Wandering Emperor into Teferi. So I think if you play Rest in Peace, you take a turn off of that and you let us land a threat. And once we land a threat, then we're already ahead. So I think I prefer, like, that not playing Rest in Peace. Um, Even it, I, I don't mean as a turn two. I mean, like, using it to stop our late game that, that's storms. Sure, that's, sure. And that's true. Too. Is, is that something that you would agree with or no? Um... I mean, it's tough, because you said it makes the, the cons, you, like, worse, right? But it also makes the cons better, because it exiles, if they counted statue, we can get it back again, so... Ooh, okay. There's definitely that, I mean... But flashbacking Deluge is not irrelevant, I mean, you, you, the games do go long, and you flashback Deluge all the time. I mean, I could see, uh, I could see maybe middle of the road, you know, you bring in one resistance piece, because obviously drawing two is just horrible, and... It shuts down some of their stuff in the late game and you bring in one verdict because it can be okay sometimes so you might be happy drawing the one um yeah it's possible the answer is somewhere but i kind of like trying to basically you know not draw not draw people i know pat mm-hmm. was having success with rest in peace and verdict so it, it's hard to say there's also the you know the fact that people were starting to play more and more planeswalkers but you guys didn't, so maybe if people end up copying your list, maybe rest in peace and verdicts a little better. Um, yeah, it's it's probably pretty close. Yeah, I I think the problem is is that blue white has so many different types of draws against green that it's really hard for you to predict how the game is gonna go. As well as the thing is, right, both decks have two different draws, right? Blue white has all the counter removal draw. Or blue-white has, like, the threat draw, and green literally has the same. We have the ramp draw, or we have, like, the slow threat draw. And, you know, we could either be going for combo, we could go for aggression with our creatures. So, to, to me, that's what makes the matchup so interesting as well, because, yeah, the, the games are really swingy. And I feel like, as well, with blue-white, you can feel like you're winning up to turn 10, and then one Teferi removal spell and um, Farewell can just turn around the game. Yeah, and, and card like Portable Hole is also pretty good because something pretty common is 
to Green Bay getting Needle on Teferi, and that's a pretty impactful play. So it's not even like portable holds like super dead in the late game. Yeah, that's true for sure. Or even like there's a lot of a lot of times where like people even portable hold Wolf Willow Haven, and yeah. that's that's often like quite strong still. Sometimes you just need the wolf to kill a, a wandering emperor or something, or crew chariot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, over, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was gonna say overall, I was I was pretty happy with blue whites. Um, I'd be kind of interesting to play some matches, maybe a set of matches against Mistless Change or blue white against red black. Set as matches against you, you know, you or cherry, you or cherry X Man, and you know, kind of see. See how we feel. Have you guys played? Um, you know, you talked about testing a lot of red, black, and screen. Did you play a decent amount of blue, white against screen as well? I think did we do some? I think we did a few. I think we did like. The problem is, is that I think because we thought red, black was good against blue, white, not many people would bring blue, white, so we focused more on red, black, and we said that because we had the Ceratops and we weren't really hoping to play against it, let's not test against it much. So I think we only played like five best of threes. And the only thing that we cared about really is learning what does the blue-white player want to do on turn four? Because we are really trying to work out when we're trying to cast our best spell in hand to force a counter. And we just realized it's every turn. <laughs> every turn if you cast your best spell in hand yeah so that's kind of what we realized and we didn't bother testing it more okay fair enough yeah the only card so we I really can... play around is um wandering emperor that's the main thing we try and play around um yeah we we don't really play around sensor a lot because eventually we our spells are so expensive eventually we're gonna have to play into it so we'd rather count mm -hmm. the three drop than the the six drop with it yeah and i think there's a lot of value from eating the sensor because these blue white decks don't really have a lot of cantrips and i think that they rely on sensor to hit land drops or to find teferi and i i honestly don't mind eating a sensor nowadays and i think that it's very easy to play around sensor as well in a sense that it, it, you know, you, there are a lot of spots where it's obvious that they would cycle it, so you don't have to play around it from the opponent. And I think that just jamming really, really works against them. But overall, kind of, what's your thoughts of Pioneer Cherry after winning the tournament? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the format. It's it's fun. Um, no. Yeah? You... Uh, yeah, I, I mean... I, I think it's... I didn't really like the inverter format. That that whole time period of Pioneer, I think, was pretty bad for me. Like, I didn't play it then, but I had no interest in it. But I think if it... Yeah, I mean, you guys probably remember when Pioneer first came out, there was so many different decks, right, that people were trying. I think it feels mm -hmm. more like that kind of format, honestly, because people were playing Blue Eye Control then, too. I think it's quite open still. There's a lot of different decks that you can play that will do decent. So, I mean, I, I, I think the format's in a pretty decent spot. I honestly liked it with Winoda Legal, too. I, don't, I think we had a decent matchup against Winoda. So, I mean... Yeah. Uh, it's changed the format a lot, Winoda being banned, because I think Red Black's gone up a lot since then. But 
I mean, I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I've been enjoying the format a lot. I was super skeptical when I had to start playing Pioneer again, but I don't know if it's just because I enjoy Blue-White and the way the games play out. Obviously, Blue-White Control is one of my favorite decks ever, or just solid format in general. Because um, it, it, it doesn't seem like Monogreen would be the most interesting deck, but it seems like you guys love it and are having fun. Obviously, winning helps. And yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe the decks and the gameplay is like much better than I gave it credit for. Yeah, I would say it's relatively... I think that the deck is a lot deeper than people think it is. And I think it comes from the fact of getting the right amount of mana for Nykthos in the combo, as well as the amount of times that I'm sitting there, I'm tanking, what should I get from Karn? Should it be Golem, Statue, whatever? And then I'm like, wait a second, if I do this, that, 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 I have the combo. And I think that a lot of the skill from Monogreen actually comes from identifying combos and doing things that are quite convoluted because you get extra mana, you draw extra cards, stuff like this. I think that a lot of people just think it's, you know, a brain dead ramp deck when in actuality, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, fair. So I guess that's Pioneer done, but you said you played some Modern Gap. Yeah, I just played, I came back from vacation, I just played the Saturday challenge with uh spikes uh banned soul herder deck it was it was fun it was it was pretty good i went 4-4 but i didn't play very well felt like the hammer times matchups were okay i actually lost really badly to four color control um whereas i heard that spike thinks the matchup's okay so i don't know if it's version dependent if i got really unlucky but basically i got paired against a version that plays counter spell plays eldemry's call and they had witness ephemerate for the late game so I think that's probably the toughest version because you're a bit slow, counterspell is pretty effective against you, and you don't even really have like that great of a late game because of their witness ephemerate loop and, and whatnot. So that, that felt really bad. I was a bit disappointed. I went 1-1 against Murktide, I think. You know, that, that should be your good matchup. I beat it once fairly easily, and then I lost kind of badly honestly in, in, in the second match. Um so that was that did not make me wanna play the deck again seeing how, how poor that, that four color match went and that even Murktide is not like super easy. I, I do I do like the deck. I do think it's strong. Uh, probably not quite top tier. I also lost to Living In, which I didn't realize uh, but apparently it's a bad matchup and it is true. I, I did lose despite the fact that you have think two endurance in the main two in the sideboard and you know you would think maybe solitude helps a bit and and all of that but yeah that matchup was 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 really rough as well um so yeah i was thinking oh this is solar is probably a good choice for a top tier meta because it's good against merc died i was looking at the list i was assuming it was decent against living in and then i had heard it was okay against four color too but it turns out I was wrong about living in and then the four color, I guess, up in the air. So, yeah. But if you, if you, I guess we could take a quick look at the results. Just, I guess, the winners, maybe, since we didn't talk about it too much. The, um, in modern, it was Bill Cypher. One was the Glimpse deck, the elemental version of Glimpse deck. And what he did was he cut 
the, um, the Fable of the Mirror Breaker, the spot where people play Fair, Fable of the Mirror Breaker or Seasoned Pyromancer or a mix of cards. He was just playing all four ups and he, he played the Chancellor of the Forge, the seven drop for, I guess, more nut draws and better hits of Glimpse. And on the other day was actually Grixis or Teamer, uh, Teamer Cruelty who won again. The deck that I actually, I kind of, you know, I, I build or rebuild or brought back and I thought it was pretty good, but it's kind of off it. I felt like it was not quite top tier, but I feel like it, it does, it's been doing really well. It's been showing up a lot in, in top eights and winning tournaments and stuff. So maybe I should give it a, give it an, another try. And then in the Pioneer top eights, it was just some blue whites, some monogreens, some spirits, bit of everything. Uh, can't remember if there was anything too, too crazy or not. But um, yeah, I think that kind of that kind of covers it. I guess that was that World Spine deck, creativity into World Spine, in a, in Pioneer, was a mixilis too, and hunt the hunt for specimen. A lot of cards you're you're not used to you're not used to see. Yeah, but yeah, that, that was it for me. I played very little Magic because I just started playing it on Saturday. No, sounds good. I mean, coming back from holiday and top uh, top aiding a challenge is <laughs> yeah, it's always is fun. really good. Yeah. Okay, so you guys want to wrap up? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So Cherry, do you know what we do at the end of every episode of Midweek Metagame? Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> you said this One guy of my was. Closest mates. Yeah, I was gonna say. It's okay, been a while, okay, fine. since I listened to the podcast. <laughs> but, um, okay, we do The Price is Right to thank Card Market, our sponsor. So we're going to go to Card Market's website, and we're going to have to guess the price of a card, and the closest, either higher, can be higher or lower, wins. So why don't you choose a Pioneer card that you think would be slightly expensive on Card Market, and we can guess the price, Jerry. A Pioneer card that, like, oh my days. What about Layer of the Hydra? Yeah, that's a... I was going to say, isn't Cavalier of Thorin a mythic? I think we've already done Cavalier on the podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, we can... I'm down to do Cavalier. I'm I, have no I know it's expensive-ish, because it's mythic, yeah. All right, let's do that then. Okay. Everyone got a price in mind? Uh, no. Let me think. So it is mythic. But, uh, yeah. Mythic played only in Pioneer... All right, I got a price. You ready, Cherry? Yep. Okay, on three, two, one. Twenty-seven. Oh my gosh. Ooh, I mean, I'm not. I didn't overshoot it for a while. We'll see, but I didn't. As in the highest. How much better. did you say, Gap? Ten, or, or an even ten. The average price for the past 30 days is 10 euros and 67 euro cents. Whoa, what is going on? GG, Gab wins. Getting in on breakers, winning the... (laughs) Damn. The more important win of the week. Yeah. (laughs) Devastating loss for Cherry. (laughs) (laughs) But um, now we got to do life on the line, Cherry. It's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. If you lose, you die. So your life is on the line and you got to bring a pioneer and a modern deck so i guess i'll start first maybe we could do just pioneer this week since chariots <laughs> i've been playing modern and we barely talked about modern just pioneer surprisingly i'll bring the exact same 75 
Yeah, same for me. Mono green, seventy-five. <laughs> yeah, I play. I play my blue white list was a second settle in the sideboard, and I'm not sure what other changes. I know I play modern as well. Honestly, I I play four right, color. We could we could do modern. Let's do modern too then. I would play four color. I I got a lot of five O's with it a few months ago. I was trophy leader at one point, but then I kind of got bored. Jeez. But um, I play it every now and then. I, I, it always feels really powerful to me. So I like full color control, like Yurian. Um, yeah. I, I haven't played the Elementals list, but I played more of the Ragavan lists, which have, yeah. I think they've gone out of favor, but right more towards. Yeah, I don't think anyone really plays Ragavan anymore. Yeah. Whether people play the Elementals list or the like Traverse list or the Ella Demerskulls list. Yeah. No respect for the monkey. I actually think I would play um, four color as well. One of the Patreons sent me his. Is it ninety five because of Yorion Jordan Raymond? He sent me his four color deck, and I really liked it. So I'd probably play that to be honest. Okay. Yeah, I, I have no idea what I would play. That's one of the reasons why I just skipped the modern tournament on Sunday. I went straight to Pioneer and, oof. Kind of looking at that glimpse list, maybe glimpse, maybe four color, putting my life on the line. I would just play that glimpse deck, I guess. You don't back yourself with creativity? Nah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It keeps doing well, but I, I felt like it was a little, a little underwhelming compared to the, the other other top tier decks. Uh, yeah, I would go with that glimpse, glimpse, glimpse deck glimpse okay. tomorrow. Let's go. Nice. Okay. Well, I guess to finish off the episode, Cherry, is there anything you want to shout out? Um, shout out Graham. Oh, yeah? <laughs> shout out Graham. Okay. <laughs> What's Graham? <laughs> it's a long story. It's a long story. Uh, Essentially. No, I think we can tell it. Do you want me yeah, to tell her or should you? So, randomly, Cherry and I play a lot of online video games. And... <laughs> essentially whenever we play with random people we try to convince them that we're like these criminals that work for this guy called graham who owns this like store and it's a front for all the money that he's wiring to the store from like illegal activity and we just like we just fully act that we're like these hard guys that are like working for this guy called graham and we like actually convince quite a few people I wonder if anyone listening is... Nah, there's no way. <laughs> but, like, we've also played in, like, GTA Five, and we were, like, saying... Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, it's just so long. Yeah, just, yeah, it's long. Yeah. And we, like, we're workers for this imaginary man called Graham. So shout out to yeah. Graham. I honestly think that literally the invention of this Graham guy made Cherry and I so close. Yeah, yeah. We were just obsessed with playing games. and tr We're just massive trolls, to be honest. Yeah. We literally just love trolling people. Yeah, that's okay. the Graham Law. Um. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess for me, check out my YouTube. I, I we, we didn't really mention the podcast this week, but Cherry and I also played the Popper Challenge together, which was a lot of fun. I, I, oh, I won't say my position, but I'm, I've fully edited the, the whole challenge down into 20 minutes. A whole challenge in 20 minutes, so with full commentary, so that's going to be a good watch up on my YouTube. Probably by tonight or tomorrow so check that out what about you gab yeah the usual twitch twitch.tv slash yellow hat awesome pretty much every day 
I'm back from vacation. Yeah, check Gabba on Twitch, check me on YouTube, and check Cherry dominating the Pro Tour and the mocks. But, you know, Cherry, thank you so much and congratulations for your win. We really appreciate you coming on the episode this week. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. it was a good time. Yeah, thanks a ton. Awesome. Uh, everyone who's been who's still listening, thank you so much for listening. And hope you all have a great week. Yeah, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Take care, everyone. Bye.